following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. This is a day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. You need to quote that every day, Psalms 118.24. Every day is a good day. Would you stand? I'm going to get right into the word, giving honor to my sweet wife, whom I love, and who has blessed me with a mother of three children and nine grands. And one of my grands was watching the first service in, in the room. He's seven years old. He's brilliant. And he walked up to the screen. There's a part in this, in this uh, message that I'm going to put something on the mouth here. And he said, is Bo preaching about the weather in there? <laughs> and you'll see in a little while. But what a joy to see you. What an honor to see you. I love all of you very, very much. And I'm very delighted and blessed to be able to bring you the word today on the best is yet to come. Turn to somebody beside you and say those words. Amen. And you may be seated. You're awesome people. Wednesday nights, we're finishing up our legendary prayer series. And so please make it Wednesday night. Thank you for coming to 21 Days of Prayer. Oh, it gets long. But when it's over, it sure is rewarding. 1931, America was in the depths of the Great Depression. An American businessman by the name of Conrad Hilton was star, uh, starving and staring foreclosure in the face because people were not traveling and his hotels were struggling. Hilton was actually borrowing money from a bellhop to make ends meet. That's true. That year, 1931, Conrad came across a photograph of a Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. There's the picture. It was the world's most famous hotel at the time. Now, Conrad already had his first hotel in Cisco, Texas. God, it's a long way from Cisco to New York City. But the one in New York had six kitchens, 200 chefs, 500 waiters, 2,000 rooms. It even had its own private railroad and private hospital. Mr. Hilton cut that photograph out of a magazine and he wrote five words across it, the greatest of them all. He placed that photograph on top of his desk so it would stare at him in the face every day, every single day. And every time he walked by the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City, he would tip his hat to that hotel. Now fast forward 18 years to 1949. Against all odds, Conrad acquired the Waldorf Astoria, but I want to back the bus up just a little bit. I want to go back to the genesis of that dream. Looking back at those tough times, desperation days during the Depression, Conrad would say this, 1931 was an outrageous time to dream when everything was bad. I don't think I can say it any better than Conrad Hilton did. 2022 is an outrageous time to dream. Anybody agree with that? You're going to give me a golf clap or a hand clap? Over the last two years, we have endured a global pandemic. We have witnessed protests and riots because of racial tension and polarization that exist in our nation. And last year, we watched the Taliban take control of Afghanistan again. Another earthquake hit Haiti. I have a dear friend that calls me and we talk about that. A hurricane hit the Gulf Coast. 
It seems like an outrageous time to speak today on the best is yet to come. But this is when and where and why you need me to speak this today to you. There's a lot of people that are languishing in the world today, but it seems like we are fighting so many battles on so many fronts, not to mention mental health. According to the CDC, one-third of Americans struggle with anxiety or depression. That is an emotional epidemic to go along with a global pandemic. And if you're grieving, you need to go through all those stages of grieving. Let me say this. Lament is a love language. It's a Bible language. It's a biblical response to other people's pain. And if you're going through some grieving time right now, I lament with you. I am sorry for you. I am praying for you because we're all going through tough times right now. But tough times don't last. Tough people do. Amen. I sense this in my spirit. God is saying it's time. Time for what, Pastor? For stars, it's time to dream again. Without a vision, the people perish, Proverbs 29 and 18 said. Perish refers to fruit that is starting to rot. Vision is a spiritual preservative to perishing. The goal is not surviving, folks. The goal is thriving. The goal is not getting back to normal. The goal is getting back to the supernatural. Hallelujah. Hear me today. We're coming into a season that we're going to see signs and wonders, miracles and healings, supernatural demonstration of God's love and God's power. Why? Because we need it. It's time. It's time to dream big. It's time to pray hard. And it's time to think long. The best is yet to come. This is not some catchy phrase, some cute saying. This is a core belief in my soul, in my system. The last time I checked, the tomb is still empty. Jesus is risen. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Now we just need to live like it. So ready or not, here we go. Let's go forward in Joshua 3. Let's meet at the Jordan River. Let me set the scene up. The Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years. Slavery is all they ever had known. It's an outrageous time to dream right now, Israel. But God delivers them out of Egypt with signs and wonders. He makes a sidewalk through the Red Sea. He gives them manna every morning for 40 years. He leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And their first attempt to enter the promised land ends in failure because of 10, say 10. 10 negative people. 10 negative people stopped two and a half million people. Finally, after 42 stations, of the Exodus and 40 years of wandering, there are stones throw from the promised land. And I wanna talk to you today about four things this morning. I wanna talk to you about getting up early. I wanna talk to you about follow the ark. I wanna talk to you about consecrate yourself. And I wanna talk to you finally about stepping to the river. Say, preach to us, pastor. You do those four things and the best is yet to come. What do I do after that? Get up early. Follow the ark. Consecrate yourself. Step in the river. What do I do after that? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> Let's talk about getting up early. Everybody say, get up early. get up early. Now, I know I got some larks here and I got some owls here. Let me talk to all of you. You know, you never arrive in this life. Never. There is no finish line. 
There's no finish line. The finish line is there. In June 13, 2017, Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors wins an NBA championship. Anybody want to guess what he did the next morning? It's kind of infamous with sports circles. No, he didn't go to Disneyland. He didn't go to Disney World. He got up early and went to the gym and worked out. Why do that? When the night before you had won the NBA title for Golden State, Mr. Draymond, because that's how you become the best. You rinse and repeat. You get up early. You got to keep working the plan. Most of us want the success without the sacrifice. We want the trophy without the blood, sweat, and tears. But the early bird still gets the worm. You got to get up early. An old preacher, pastor friend of mine taught me this lesson in my home in Dallas, Texas when I was in my early 20s pastoring a church and I couldn't even spell pastor. His name was Bill Dean. He's the father of Dan Dean. Yes, of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Dan Dean and I are Doc brothers. But Bill Dean got up early in the morning. He got his day started with prayer before the sun came up. He put some actions in me by his actions. And I remember one day, the first, the first day I found him, I, I, I realized I got up early that morning, I guess probably to get a drink of water or something, I don't know, because I didn't get up that early. But I went down to the, to, the, to the laundry room and I heard him in there praying very quietly, but he was praying. I opened the door and he was laying on the washer. And I didn't realize he was giving me a medical, meta, metaphorical message. Son, you got to wash your soul every morning. <laughs> every morning. Amen. And he put me into that in my life. Joshua 3 said, early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from I'm going to call it Shittim, but that's not how you pronounce it. With the Israelites, and they came to the Jordan. Here's the context. If you want to get out of Shittim, you got to get up early in the morning. Geography and spirituality are interconnected. I would add chronology and spirituality. And there is a spirituality of chronology. Two things you need to understand. Time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. All of us are given the same amount of time every day, 1,440 minutes. Look at it, 1,440 minutes. When it comes to talent and treasure, we have a wide spectrum. See, some people have lots of talent, other people not so much. Some people have a lot of treasure, other people not so much. But time, time is the great equalizer. No one is given more than 1,440 minutes a day. Here's the question, how are you managing the minutes and the moments of your life. The chronos, the minutes, and the kairos, the moments. See, you don't find time, you have to make time. I just can't find the time for it, Pastor. You gotta make time for it. You have to identify the time wasters and you have to identify the time multipliers. Let me break it down for you. The average person spends 142 minutes on social media every day. Hello. 142, and that's the average. Some of you spend six hours a day on the, on the, on the, on the tube. Staggering stat. Come on. I have nothing against social media, although I'm not on, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not, on, I'm not a grammar. I'm not on Instagram, but I do like graham crackers. But is that how... You want to spend 15% of your waking life every day? 
Come on, help me now. What could you accomplish if you bought back two hours and 22 minutes every day? You could read a book or you could write a book. You could get a graduate degree. You could volunteer here at the campus and work for two hours every day for us. We get a lot done. <laughs> you could train for a triathlon. You could learn a new language. You could plug into a life group. You can do a lot in 142 minutes. Well, you hadn't thrown anything at me, so I guess you're receiving it. But you won't find the time. You have to make the time. You gotta make it. The best time to make time is early in the morning. You gotta beat the sun up. I know that there are larks and owls. I've said that before. But if you're a night person, you still need a morning routine. How to start the day. Set the pace. Tone. The table for the day. It starts with when you set your alarm and why you set your alarm. And it can't be just to get up and get out the door in the nick of time. No, no, no. I did that in college. And I was always late to my geography class. What it's not is to get us... What, that, that is not going to get us to where we need to go. You have to set your alarm clock and with consistency and intentionality. David said in Psalms, Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. He said, I will awake the dawn. According to rabbinic tradition, David hung his harp by his bed before an open window because it functioned like an alarm clock. And when the north wind started blowing, it would make music in his harp strings. And according to tradition, David would get up and study the Torah until the break of dawn. I'm not a morning person by nature. I could sleep as late as anybody as a young man. I'm a morning person by discipline. Bill Dean touched my world when he hugged our washer and dryer up in Dallas. D.L. Moody wrote this. He always felt a tinge of guilt. He said, if I heard the blacksmiths hammering before I was up praying, Moody loved people. Moody would get up at four in the morning. That's earlier than me. And he'd get his Bible, go to his reading and prayer room and prepare for the day. He said, I have to get up before the people get up and take my attention away from God and me. Because people will. Everybody say, get up early. Yeah. Number two, you got to follow the ark. Let me preach here a little. Joshua 3 said, at the end of three days, the officers commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall start, set out from your place, follow it, so that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, the distance of about 2,000 cubits. Do not come any nearer to it. What are the Israelites doing here? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're doing what we call drafting the presence of God. It's what race car drivers do. A team, one will get the lead and the other will draft on him. Or it's like bicyclists in the, in, in, in the Tour de France. That's what they do. They have a team. And the leader, the one they want to win, is being drafted. He drafts on these other bikes. It's what, it's what people do. It's, it, it's what runners do. The ark symbolized, folks, listen, the presence of God. And it symbolized the power of God. And you needed to keep a distance of 2,000 cubits. Here's the addendum. That's the same distance a Jewish person was allowed to walk on the Sabbath. He said, don't fall too far behind, but don't get ahead of it. See, there's a sin of procrastination of delayed obedience, but there's also a sin of presumption taking matters in your own hands. Some of us get way behind God and some try to get ahead of God. I'll be honest, I've tried to manufacture God a time or two and work the thing out or 10 or 12 
trying to make it happen, it's not happening. So here I, here I go to make it work. And so I try to push and I try to make it happen. You take a rose and you see the rose as a bud and you say, can you make this unfold? And people try to do it and it'll mess up the rose. But you hold it up and say, God, you can unfold this rose. And in two days, that rose is a beautiful blossom because nothing can operate in your life like the presence of God can operate in your life. Say amen to that. You're going to end up like Moses if you try to take matters in your hand. He said, I'm going to expedite the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt. No, Moses, you'll delay things 40 years by trying to take a shortcut. So here's my question. Are you following the ark or are you following the crowd? It's hard not to cave into peer pressure. It's hard to live counterculture, especially in a cancel culture. But we must walk to the beat of a different drum. We follow the ark. New Testament terms, we follow the Spirit of God. We're Spirit-filled. We're Spirit-led. We're Spirit-controlled. Come on now. We love the Spirit of God in our lives. Anything less is dead religion. Mark it down. I'm on record for that. And God does not want dead religion. God wants a live religion. He wants a live faith. The turn of the 20th century, William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. Here's his picture. He was the first of ZZ Top. <laughs> He's a great man. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I just don't, I just don't like that beard that long. He needed to, need to shave the corners. He issued a warning. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. It was true then, it's true now. You got to get up early, folks, and you got to follow the glory of God in your life. Come on, somebody, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The third thing you have to do is consecrate yourself. This is a little tough now. I want you to lean up on me, lean forward. Joshua 3 said, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. Everybody say wonders. You know, we want to do amazing things for God, but it's God who does amazing things for us. Our job is consecration, and if we do our job, God's going to do His job. I guarantee that. The Hebrew word for consecrate is kadesh. It means to purify. It means to sanctify, set something apart. You are anointed and you are appointed by God. And we are most free, hear me now, when we are most disciplined. Little counterintuitive, but it's true. We're not alive, we are most alive when we are most dead to ourselves. And you know that's right. The turn of the 20th century, there was a group of missionaries. This story made me cry when I discovered it. They became what is known as one-way missionaries. They bought one-way tickets to the mission field they knew they weren't coming back. So they didn't pack suitcases. This is gross. But they packed their belongings into coffins. A.W. Milne set sail for the New Hebrides in South Pacific where a tribe of headhunters had already martyred every missionary that had come there. But he had no fear because he had already died to self. He had consecrated himself. For 35 years, Milne lived the gospel to those people. He lived among the tribe. He learned the language. He loved the people like Jesus loved people. And when he died, 
They buried him in the middle of the village and here's the epitaph on his tombstone. It said, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. So I want to ask you something. Have you settled in your mind? Have you, have you settled it in your mind? Have you come to a settling place that this God thing is what I'm going to live the rest of my life? Or is it going to be God on Sunday and the rest of the world on Monday through Saturday? Come on, you've got to make up your mind. You've got to consecrate yourself because you'll be fighting the same battles at the end of this year as you're fighting right now. But you've got to consecrate and get up in the morning, follow the ark, and say, I'm following you, Jesus Christ, all the days of my life. I'm on your team. Oh, I want to preach that to you right now. Consecration is death to self, dethroning yourself, giving it all to God, giving the Holy Spirit veto power, seeking God first. My utmost for his highest. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Every miracle, every breakthrough starts with consecration. I love D.L. Moody. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with one man who is wholly consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. Mr. Moody, I do too. I want to be that person. Why not you? Why not now? The question, of course, is how? It starts with complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your past, your present, your future. The decision has a domino effect. 1 Timothy 4 said, For it is sanctified by God's word and God's prayer. Say the word, say it, say it, the word and prayer. The word and prayer. When we read our Bible, we just don't read it, it reads us. Hebrews 4 said, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joint from marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. See, the Word of God has a consecrating effect. Have you discovered that? It's the quickening of the Spirit. I'm sure many of you during your prayer time these 21 days have discovered that when you read the book while praying, something happened inside of you. Something that is revelation. And prayer has the same effect on us. Prayer changes things, there's no doubt. But I think sometimes the circumstances we're asking God to change are the circumstances God is using to change us. Let me, let me just talk just a minute. I'm not far from it. Let me just talk just a minute. Let me just talk just a minute. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and the Lord never took it away from him because he had an abundance of revelation. And he cried three times, take this from me. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. There's sometimes we're asking God to remove something when God's got to keep that something in us so we can become what we need to become in him. Come on now, come on, come on, come on. See, the, the second purpose of prayer is to change our circumstances. But the primary purpose of prayer is to change us, to change me. We need to consecrate ourselves, and I... I close with this final thought. We need to step into the river. Joshua 3 said in 8, You are the one who shall command the priest who bear the ark of the covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And while we're waiting for God to part the water, God is waiting for us to get our feet wet. 
I don't want to get my shoes wet. I want God to do it first because then it does not require faith. See, when they crossed the Red Sea, the waters parted and they walked on dry ground. But when you cross into the land of promise, the promised land, you've got to put your feet in the water. You've got to place your feet in the water and then God does the miracle. And some people want to put one foot in. But see, faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. We say, okay, I got, okay, I got my foot in here. Come on, come on, come on. This is the hardest part. Come on. You got to step in the water. If you want God to part the water, you have to step into the river. I have stepped into the water numerous times here at CLA. And I think God hyperlinks our steps. I really do. You've trusted me before, God said, and I moved for you before. Can you trust me now? I will move for you now. See, some of us need to understand this. That God Almighty has done things for us in the past. And sometimes all we remember about our yesterday is the bad stuff. We can't recall the good things that God has done. But God's done some good things for us. Pat the hand of the wife beside you. And pat the hand of the husband beside you. And pat the hand of the boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you are. Just pat that hand and say, wow, look what God put in my life. Look at this friend I'm sitting beside today. Look at this person I'm walking to church with and coming from the parking lot to church with. God's blessed me. Look at this church I'm sitting in today. God's been good to me. Come on, he's been good to all of us. He's been good to all of us. Let me close. Let me close. Joshua 3.15, Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the edge of the water. The waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap as far off as Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And the people crossed over opposite Jordan. It's a terrible time to step into the water. The river Jordan flows between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. I'm going to put a little map up here. Let me show it to you. Put the map up. This is the weather forecast that my grandson saw right here. Okay. You see the Galilee Sea, you see the Dead Sea, you see Jericho there, you see Adam there. Adam is like 16 miles up north from the Jordan. It's harvest time. It's hard to cross. They crossed opposite Jericho there. Leave the map up. But that's not where the miracle happened. You've got to get this. That's not where the miracle happened. The miracle happened 16 miles upstream at Adam. We think right here, right now, and God's thinking nations and generations. Miracles always happen 16 miles, 16 years, 20 years, 25 years. I had a grandfather that was mean as a junkyard dog. He carried a knife so he could cut people if they messed with him. He was tough. I hate to say it, but he beat my grandmother when she found salvation. But then one day, God got him. God got him. And when God got him, he came from making fun of the church to sitting on the front row. And he loved God. He didn't live long. He died when I was eight years old. He died at 58 years of age. He died when I was eight years old. But I was his favorite. And I don't say that braggingly. I don't say that with my fingers under my, th under my, under my pitch. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he always held me in church. And he would hold me up against his railroad watch timepiece that was in his, he wore Osh B. Gosh overalls. 
And he wore that, 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 that watch inside his little, little, little pocket here. And he put my head up against that tick-tock clock. And I guess that's why I need fans all in my room now to go to sleep. I had noise when I was a baby. <laughs> and he would put his hand on the other side of my, of my head and he would hold me. And my mom said he prayed for me every time he held me. Because when he got in the church, he wanted to be as good for God as he was bad for the world. He loved God. He loved his family. But here's what I want to tell you. There's no expiration dates on his prayer. Prayers turn grandparents into prophets and prophetesses. Because God takes those prayers and turns them into promises. And the wife that he used to beat because she found Jesus drove 400 miles in 1973 to my ordination service in West Texas. And she used to whip me more than my mom and daddy did. I love to go to their house. I don't know why. I love them. She had popped me, then she had hugged me up and be crying and saying, Now, son, I'm going to have to beat the devil out of you so I can get Jesus in you. And she came to my ordination service and she was there in 73. She was killed in a car accident in 75 and she's 69 years old. And I think it's the prayers of those grandparents. I think it's the prayers of those folks up there at a dam. I think it's those people that prayed a long time ago that stopped the water flow so I could walk into the Jordan and I could find my miracle in my life. She came up to me many times. She would talk to me and this was things she would say and I just put them on the screen, just kind of things that she'd say, give people a chance to be saved. Lift people, love people, care for people. You don't get to choose who God saves and who he doesn't. Get all you can in the boat and let God know that you tried at least. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma. See, prayer is the way that we write history before it happens. Prayer is the way we seed the clouds. Prayer is the way we consecrate the future. And when we do, amazing things are on the way. They really are. I'm not naive, folks. I know times are tough. I know bad things happen to good people. I know we have heartaches and headaches and setbacks. And there are things we can't understand and things we cannot control. But I also know that we drink from wells that we didn't dig. We eat from fields we didn't plant. We live in houses we didn't build. Because somebody at the city of Adam prayed and the water stopped right there. And I get to walk across. If I just put my feet in the river, I get to go into my land of promise. Miracles always happen 16 miles upstream, 16 years, 30 years. We all are answers to someone else's prayer. You can return the favor. You can pay it forward. I don't know the decision you need to make, the action you need to take, but it's time. Time for what, Pastor? It's time to start tithing, perhaps. It's time to start serving. It's time to start counseling. It's time to start writing. It's time to start running. time to start exercising. I don't know, but it's time. There are decades, folks, when nothing happens. If you're Israel, there was 40 of them, 400 years, but there are days when decades happen. 
You can look back on this day 16 years from now. 16 years from now, 16 years if God tarries, and you could say it was an outrageous time to dream. But it was a day that decades happened in my life. My grandmother loved Coach Darrell Royal. She thought he was the sweetest kid in Oklahoma. She was an Oklahoma woman. He played at Hollis. My daddy played at, 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 at a little town just west of there. And, and she came to me one time and she said, you know, I prayed for Daryl when he was a boy. And he doesn't even know it. And I prayed he'd be a champion. And he was a champion in 63 and a champion in 69 and a champion in 70. Thank you, Grandma. She said, I'm going to pray for you. And that was many years ago. But sometimes God cuts the water off at a dam, And we get to walk through the waters and they don't overwhelm us even at harvest season. It's time to step into the river. It's time to step into the river. I had Sunday school teachers that prayed for me. I had a little Sunday school teacher in Longview that gave up, came up and gave me a crudence concordance. I said, what do I need this for? I said, you're going to preach? Well, thank you, Sister Weaver. She's passed and gone now. But her prayers are still working. They're still working. So why don't you start praying for your kids? Why don't you start praying? If you've given up on your kids, start praying for your grandkids. Start praying for them because 16 years from this date, I promise you, you're going to see some things in your life that you're not going to believe is possible. The best is yet to come. Get up early. Come on, get up early. Come on, get up early. Follow the ark. Come on, consecrate yourself and get in the water. Let's go. Let's have a super year this year. Come on. Let's follow after Jesus. Let's follow after Jesus. Hallelujah. Put your hands together real big and receive the word today. Put your hands together real big and receive the word today. Receive it. Receive it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, give the Lord a hand clap. You're not clapping for me. You're clapping for him. Come on. Clap your hands big time. Come on, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody say it with me. The best is yet to come. Six words. Six words. Get up early. Get you some discipline in the morning. Come on, follow the ark, follow the spirit. Don't follow crowds, follow the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, consecrate yourself. Say, I'm all in. And then just go ahead and step into the river. Let's make it happen. Dear Father, I bless this congregation today. I thank you for them. I thank you for their love for you, their love for the house, and their love for the word. And God, thank you for letting them stay attuned and attentive through this entire message today. I bless them in the name of the Lord today. I bless this church. Bring us back next Sunday, God. Bring us back Wednesday night for the fourth installment of Legendary Prayer. Now, thank you for today. Thank you for all of our guests. Thank you for everybody that walked in the church today for the first time. And may they leave here knowing that they heard from and felt the presence of God in their life. 
and bless all of our kinfolks and bless all of our relatives and bless all of our street and all of our neighbors and everybody we come in contact with. Let what I have spill out to them and let us have the joy of the Lord in our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.